Book Seventeen, Chapters Eleven through Thirteen of the Antiquities of the Jews, Volume Four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle. The Antiquities of the Jews, Volume Four by Flavius Josephus, translated by William Whiston. Book Seventeen, Chapters Eleven through Thirteen. Chapter Eleven, An Embassage to Caesar, and How Caesar Confirmed Herod's Testament. So when Varus had settled these affairs, and had placed a former legion at Jerusalem, he returned back to Antioch. But as for Archelaus, he had had new sources of trouble come upon him at Rome, on the occasions following. For an embassage of the Jews was come to Rome, Varus having permitted the nation to send it that they might petition for the liberty of living by their own laws. Now the number of the ambassadors that were sent by the authority of the nation were fifty, to which they joined above eight thousand of the Jews that were at Rome already. Hereupon Caesar assembled his friends and the chief men among the Romans in the temple of Apollo, which he had built at a vast charge, whither the ambassadors came, and a multitude of the Jews that were there already came with them. As did also Archelaus and his friends, but as for the several kinsmen which Archelaus had, they would not join themselves with him out of their hatred to him, and yet they thought it too gross a thing for them to assist the ambassadors against him, as supposing it would be a disgrace to them in Caesar's opinion to think thus of enacting an opposition to a man of their own kindred. Philip also was come hither out of Syria, by the persuasion of Varus, with this principal intention to assist his brother Archelaus, for Varus was his great friend, but still so, that if there should any change happen in the form of government, which Varus suspected there would, and if any distribution should be made on account of the number that desired the liberty of living by their own laws, that he might not be disappointed, but might have his share in it. Now upon the liberty that was given to the Jewish ambassadors to speak, they who hoped to obtain a dissolution of kingly government betook themselves to accuse Herod of his iniquities and they declared that he was indeed in name a king but that he had taken to himself that uncontrollable authority which tyrants exercise over their subjects and had made use of that authority for the destruction of the jews and did not abstain from making many innovations among them besides according to his own inclinations and that whereas there were a great many who perished by that destruction he brought upon them so many indeed as no other history relates they that survived were far more miserable than those that suffered under him, not only by the anxiety they were in from his looks and disposition towards them, but from the danger their estates were in of being taken away by him, that he did never leave off adorning these cities that lay in their neighborhood, but were inhabited by foreigners, but so that the cities belonging to his own government were ruined, and utterly destroyed, that whereas when he took the kingdom it was in an extraordinary flourishing condition, he had filled the nation with the utmost degree of poverty, and when upon unjust pretenses he had slain any of the nobility, he took away their estates, and when he permitted any of them to live, he condemned them to the forfeiture of what they possessed. And besides the annual impositions which he had laid upon every one of them, they were to make liberal presents to himself, to his domestics and friends, and to such of his slaves as were vouchsafed the favor of being his tax-gatherers because there was no way of obtaining a freedom from an unjust violence without giving either gold or silver for it. That they would say nothing of the corruption of the chastity of their virgins, and the reproach laid on their wives for incontency, 
and those things acted after an insolent and inhuman manner because it was not a smaller pleasure to the sufferers to have such things concealed than it would have been not to have suffered them that herod had put such abuses upon them as a wild beast would not have put on them if he had power given to him to rule over us and that although their nation had passed through many subversions and alterations of government their history gave no account of any calamity they had ever been under that could be compared with this which herod had brought upon their nation that it was for this reason that they thought they might justly and gladly salute archelaus as king upon this supposition that whosoever should be set over their kingdom he would appear more mild to them than herod had been and that they had joined with him in the morning for his father in order to gratify him and were ready to oblige him in other points also if they could meet with any degree of moderation from him but that he seemed to be afraid lest he should not be deemed herod's own son and so without any delay he immediately let the nation understand his meaning and this before his dominion was well established since the power of disposing it belonged to caesar who could either give it to him or not as he pleased that he had given a specimen of his future virtue to his subjects and that with what kind of moderation and good administration he would govern them by that his first action which concerned them his own citizens and god himself also when he had made the slaughter of three thousand of his own countrymen at the temple how then could they avoid the just hatred of him who to the rest of his barbarity hath added this as one of our crimes that we have opposed and contradicted him in the exercise of his authority now the main thing they desired was this that they might be delivered from the kingly and the like forms of government and might be added to syria and be put under the authority of such presidents of theirs as should be sent to them for that it would thereby be made evident whether they be really a seditious people and generally fond of innovations or whether they would live in an orderly manner that they might have governors of any sort of moderation sit over them now when the jews had said this nicholas vindicated the kings from those accusations and said that as for herod since he had never been thus accused all the time of his life it was not fit for those who might have accused him of lesser crimes than those now mentioned and might have procured him to be punished during his lifetime to bring an accusation against him now that he is dead he also attributed the actions of archelaus to the jews injuries to him who affecting to govern contrary to the laws and going about to kill those that would have hindered them from acting unjustly when they were by him punished for what they had done made their complaints against him so he accused them of their attempts for innovation and of the pleasure they took in sedition by reason of their not having learned to submit to justice and to the laws but still desiring to be superior in all things this was the substance of what nicholas said when caesar had heard these pleadings he dissolved the assembly but a few days afterwards he appointed archelaus not indeed to be king of the whole country but ethnarch of the one half of that which had been subject to herod and promised to give him the royal dignity hereafter if he governed his part virtuously but as for the other half he divided it into two parts and gave it to two other of herod's sons to philip and to antipas that antipas who disputed with archelaus for the whole kingdom now to him it was that paris and galilee played their tribute which amounted annually to two hundred talents while Bataneo with Traconitis as well as Orianitis, with a certain part of what was called the house of Zenodorus, paid the tribute of one hundred talents to Philip. But Idumea and Judea, and the country of Samaria, paid tribute to Archelaus. 
but had now a fourth part of that tribute taken off by the order of caesar who decreed them that mitigation because they did not join this revolt with the rest of the multitude there were also certain of the cities which paid tribute to archelaus strato's tower and sebasti with joppa and jerusalem as for gaza and gadara and hippos they were grecian cities which caesar separated from his government and added them to the province of syria now the tribute money that came to archelaus every year from his own dominions amounted to six hundred talents and so much came to herod's sons from their father's inheritance but salome besides what her brother left her by his testament which were jamnia and ashdod and phasaleus and five hundred thousand drachmae of coined silver caesar made her a present of a royal habitation at Ascalo. in all her revenues amounted to sixty talents by the year and her dwelling-house which was in archelaus government the rest also of the king's relations received what his testament allotted them moreover caesar made a present to each of herod's two virgin daughters besides what their father left them of two hundred fifty thousand drachmae of silver and married them to ferora's sons he also granted all that was bequeathed to himself to the king's sons which was one thousand five hundred talents excepting a few of the vessels which he reserved for himself and they were acceptable to him not so much for the great value they were of as because they were memorials of the king to him chapter twelve concerning a spurious alexander when these affairs had thus been settled by caesar a certain young man by birth a jew but brought up by a roman freedman in the city of zedon engrafted himself to the kindred of herod by the resemblance of his countenance which those that saw him attested to be that of alexander the son of herod whom he had slain and this was an incitement to him to endeavor to obtain the government so he took to him as an assistant a man of his own country one that was well acquainted with the affairs of the palace but on other accounts an ill man and one whose nature made him capable of causing great disturbances to the public and one that became a teacher of such a mischievous contrivance to the other and declared himself to be alexander the son of herod but stolen away by one of those that were sent to slay him who in reality slew other men in order to deceive the spectators but saved both him and his brother aristobulus thus was this man elated and able to impose on those that came to him and when he was come to crete he made all of the jews that came to discourse with him believe him to be alexander and when he had gotten much money which had been presented to him there he passed over to melos where he got much more money than he had before out of the belief they had that he was of the royal family and their hopes that he would recover his father's principality and reward his benefactors so he made haste to rome and was conducted thither by those strangers who entertained him he was also so fortunate as upon his landing at Dicearchia to bring the jews that were there to the same delusion and not only other people but also those who had been great with herod or had a kindness for him joined themselves to this man as their king the cause of it was this that men were glad of his pretenses which were seconded by the lightness of his countenance which made those that had been acquainted with alexander strongly to believe that he was no other but the very same person which they had also confirmed to others by oath insomuch that when the report went about him coming to rome the whole multitude of the jews that were there went out to meet him ascribing it to divine providence that he was so unexpectedly escaped and being joyful on account of his mother's family and when he was come he was carried in a royal litter through the streets and all the ornaments about him were such as kings were adorned withal and this was at the expense of those that entertained him the multitude also flocked about him greatly 
and made mighty acclamations to him and nothing was omitted which would be thought suitable to such as had been so unexpectedly preserved when this thing was told caesar he did not believe it because herod was not easily to be imposed upon in such affairs as were of great concern to him yet having some suspicion it might be so he sent one chelatus a freedman of his and one that had conversed with the young men themselves and bade him to bring alexander into his presence so he brought him being no more accurate in judging about him than the rest of the multitude yet did not he deceive caesar for although there was a resemblance between him and alexander yet it was not so exact as supposed on such as were prudent in discerning for this spurious alexander had his hands rough by the labors he had been put to and instead of that softness of body which the other had and this as derived from his delicate and generous education this man for the contrary reason had a rugged body when therefore caesar saw how the master and the scholar agreed in this lying story and in a bold way of talking he inquired about astrobulus and asked what became of him who it seems was stolen away together with him and for what reason it was that he did not come along with him and endeavour to recover that dominion which was due his high birth also and when he said that he had been left in the isle of crete for fear of the dangers of the sea that in case any accident should come to himself the posterity of mariamne would not utterly perish but that astrobulus might survive and punish those that laid such treacherous designs against them and when he persevered in his affirmations and the author of the imposture agreed in supporting it caesar took the young man by himself and said to him if thou wilt not impose upon me thou shalt have this for thy reward that thou shalt escape with thy life tell me then who thou art and who it was that had this boldness enough to contrive such a cheat as this for this contrivance is too considerable a piece of villainy to be undertaken by one of thy age accordingly because he had no other way to take he told caesar the contrivance and after that manner and by whom it was laid together so caesar upon observing the spurious alexander to be a strong active man and fit to work with his hands that he might not break his promise to him put him among those that were to row among the mariners but slew him that induced him to do what he had done for as for the people of melos he thought them sufficiently punished in having thrown away so much of their money upon this spurious alexander and such was the ignominious conclusion of this bold contrivance about the spurious alexander chapter thirteen how archelaus upon a second accusation was banished to vienna when archelaus was entered on his ethnarchy and was come to judea he accused eleazar the son of boethus of assisting the seditious and took away the high priesthood from him and put eleazar his brother in his place he also magnificently rebuilt the royal palace that had been at jericho and he diverted half the water with which the village of neara used to be watered and drew off that water into the plain to water those palm trees which he had there planted he also built a village and put his own name on it and called it archelaus moreover he transgressed the law of our fathers and married glaphira the daughter of archelaus who had been the wife of his brother alexander which alexander had three children by her while it was a thing detestable among the jews to marry the brother's wife nor did this eleazar abide long in the high priesthood jesus the son of zia being put in his room while he was still living but in the tenth year of archelaus government both his brethren and the principal men of judea and samaria not being able to bear his barbarous and tyrannical usage of them accused him before caesar and especially because they knew he had broken the commands of caesar which obliged him to behave himself with moderation among them whereupon caesar when he heard it was very angry 
and called for Archelaus' steward, who took care of his affairs at Rome, and whose name was Archelaus also. And thinking it beneath him to write to Archelaus, he bid him to sail away as soon as possible, and bring him to us. So the man made haste in his voyage, and when he came to Judea, he found Archelaus feasting with his friends, so he told him what Caesar had sent him about, and hastened him away. And when he was come to Rome, Caesar, upon hearing what certain accusers of his had to say, and what reply he could make, both banished him, and appointed Vienna, a city of Gaul, to be the place of his habitation, and took his money away from him. Now before Archelaus was gone up to Rome upon this message, he related this dream to his friends, that he saw ears of corn in number ten, full of wheat, perfectly ripe, which ears, as it seemed to him, were devoured by oxen. And when he was awake and had gotten up, because the vision appeared to be of great importance to him, he sent for the diviners, whose study was employed about dreams. And while some were of one opinion, and some of another, for all their interpretations did not agree, Simon, a man of the sect of Essence, desired leave to speak his mind freely, and said that the vision denoted a change in the affairs of Archelaus, and that not for the better, that oxen, because that animal takes uneasy pains in its labors, denoted afflictions, and indeed denoted further a change of affairs, because that land which is ploughed by oxen cannot remain in its former state, and that the ears of corn being ten determined the like number of years, because an ear of corn grows in one year, and that the time of Archelaus' government was over, and thus did this man expound the dream. Now on the fifth day after this dream came first to Archelaus, the other Archelaus that was sent to Judea by Caesar to call him away came hither also. The like incident befell Glyphira, his wife, who was the daughter of King Archelaus, who, as I said before, was married, while she was a virgin, to Alexander the son of Herod, and the brother of Archelaus. But since it fell out so that Alexander was slain by his father, she was married to Juba, the king of Libya. And when he was dead, she lived in widowhood in Cappadocia with her father. Archelaus divorced his former wife, Mariamne, and married her, so great was his affection for this Glyphira who during her marriage to him saw the following dream. She thought she saw Alexander standing by her, at which she rejoiced and embraced him with great affection, but that he complained to her, and said, O oh, Glaphira, thou provest that saying to be true, which assures us that women are not to be trusted. Didst thou not pledge thy faith to me? And wast thou not married to me when thou wast a virgin? And had we not children between us? Yet hast thou forgotten the affection I bear to thee, out of a desire of a second husband, nor hast thou been satisfied with that injury thou didst me, but thou hast been so bold as to procure thee a third husband to lie by thee, and in an indecent and imprudent manner hast entered into my house, and hast been married to Archelaus, thy husband and my brother. However, I will not forget thy former kind affection for me, but will set thee free from every such reproachful action and caused thee to be mine again, as thou once was. When she related this to her female companions, in a few days' time she departed this life. Now I did not think these histories improper for the present discourse, both because my discourse is now concerning kings, and otherwise also on account of the advantage hence to be drawn, as well as for the confirmation of the immortality of the soul, as of the providence of God over human affairs. I thought them fit to be set down, but if any one does not believe such relations, let him indeed enjoy his own opinion. But let him not hinder another that would thereby encourage himself in virtue. 
so archelaus's country was laid to the province of syria and serenius one that had been consul was sent by caesar to take account of people's effects in syria and to sell the house of archelaus end of book seventeen chapters eleven through thirteen end of book seventeen